0: The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi, folks. This is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast, all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out Anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out Anchor.fm.
1: Come with me.
0: You're listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to talk about a different perspective on medicine. Uh, and a lot of this has to do with the science of homeopathy, which is much forgotten today, uh, because this is really uh, one of the things that really put this whole perspective on my radar. Uh, I always had uh, somewhat of a very bleak understanding of homeopathy. I understood some of the basic principles and precepts thereof. Uh, But there were many aspects to it of which I was totally ignorant. So I started delving into these things, and uh, uh, largely I've done a lot of reading uh, recently upon it. It's been something that uh, came on my radar. Uh, So there are some tried and true principles of homeopathy uh, that really deserve some attention. And this is the thing. This is something that's been lost to most of our mainstream medical model today. Uh, So that being the case, I think it's worth exploring the roots of this. Uh, So I picked up a book here that's actually titled Organon of Medicine by Dr. Samuel Hahnemann. And if you don't know who Samuel Hahnemann is, uh, there's a very famous uh, research hospital down here in Philadelphia called Hahnemann Hospital. And it's associated with Drexel University. It's a teaching hospital. It's also uh, a a hospital that has uh, a great deal of renown. Uh, within the country and it's an old hospital and it was founded by Dr. Samuel Hahnemann who was uh, the founder of the modern homeopathic movement uh, of the modern medicine, the modern science of homeopathy. Uh, So he was a homeopathist and uh, when Rockefeller Medicine really took over heavily, this kind of thing got pushed to the wayside. Um, Homeopathy used to be a much more mainstream thing and and much better understood. And it actually uh, has a lot of uh, really well-recorded successes. So uh, that being the case, when the allopathic model that was pushed and promoted heavily by the Rockefellers and others uh, really arrived on the scene, it pushed this to the back uh, with the formation of the American Medical Association and various other nonprofit groups that uh, were the initial ones that funded all of the different education within the universities. So they pushed for this whole allopathic kind of ideology. So much of the homeopathic model and stuff was lost during that time frame. So these are things we're missing out on in modern medicine, and it's a different way of thinking about medicine. And this is the important thing, because there's so many things about our modern medical paradigm that have pushed spiritual concerns and uh, various other concerns to the back burner, and they don't even consider these things. What they've done is they've managed to make the medical model that we operate on today into a hyper-materialist paradigm, much like everything else. So it's focused on strictly physical phenomena and things of that nature. (laughs) Once again, this falls back on the whole cybernetics ideology and the approach thereof. Uh, this is the approach where they want to quantify or count everything, be able to measure and count everything in an objective, physical way. Because if they could do that, they could better control that. Well, some things just don't fall into that model of thinking. And this is something that's lost. And that we wonder why we have, within, you know, ostensibly in the most advanced uh, age of science and medicine ever, why we have all of these medical problems that we do in our modern age, right? Many of these things that did not exist back in generations past or things that were, uh, you know, easily dealt with generations past. Now we have all these chronic issues, don't we, that hadn't happened or occurred before, that weren't really recorded throughout uh, much of our history. So we're going to take a look back here at this book, This is called The Organon of Medicine by Samuel Hahnemann, and this was originally written by him in 1810, and it went through several different revisions, and the uh, revision that we're going to uh, read from tonight is an English translation, because this was originally written in German, because Dr. Hahnemann was German, Uh, So, and we'll read a little bit here uh, into the translator's introduction here, just a little bit into that, and then we'll get right into the meat of the matter, and we're going to cover... Uh, a, a few of the, the main points here, the, the main precepts of homeopathy, and give you an idea as to what this science is all about and why it really has legs to it, right? Because this is something that I had very little understanding of. I, I, I kind of understood the principle, uh, you know, in a very vague way before, but having actually done some of the groundwork and in reading into this stuff now, uh, I'm beginning to see that there's maybe much more to this than what I had thought, first of all. And, uh, you know, second of all, there's definitely a lot more to it than what the mainstream would have you believe. Uh, they largely like to discredit the whole idea of homeopathy. Uh, they say it's nonsensical and it does nothing. And, you know, they're, they couldn't be more wrong, let's put it that way. The thing is, they don't really truly understand why these things work. They can't explain it. So rather than trying to explain why these things work or how these things work, uh, they would rather dismiss it and say that it doesn't work when the evidence is there, as we will see here as we read through Dr. Hahnemann's book. But let's get right into it here. I'm going to read from the translator's introduction to give you an idea as to what this writing is and where it came from and why this is important. And I think we need to really delve into this uh, uh, other aspect of medicine, because this is something that our world really needs right now, doesn't it? There's so much, uh, you know, illness and disease and uh, sickness out there. So many people that just need uh, something better than what we've been handed, because the model we've been handed largely doesn't work, does it? It's all about, uh, you know, symptom management. It's not about curing anything. And that's where the prime dis- distinction is here. Our, our modern allopathic medical system is all about disease management, right? It's all about managing symptoms. It's not about actually coming up with a cure for people. Uh, so with that being the case, we, we need to really delve into something different. We need to take a different approach because the approach that we've been taking as a, a, a people... It's not working, and it's just leading to more and more and more of these various diseases and illnesses and chronic conditions. So something's not working here, and they can't seem to separate themselves from the ideas that uh, have brought this on. Now, don't get me wrong. Allopathic medicine does have its good connotations to it, and it does have good aspects to it. Like, uh, we have very many absolutely wonderful surgeons uh, who, without their services, Many people would not survive. Uh, So that being the case, it it has its time and its place, right? I'm not saying completely throw out and discredit allopathic medicine altogether as well. So that being the case, I mean, we got to make that distinction. But the thing is, that's what they've tried to do with homeopathy. They've tried to throw it out and completely discredit it. And this has a place and it should have a more prominent place in our society at this point. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to get right into the reading here. The, the translator's introduction. <coughs> Excuse me while I clear my throat for a moment. Samuel Hahnemann's Organon of Medicine clearly and completely states, for the first time in history, the true nature of health and disease, the natural principles of cure, and the system of medical therapy based on these principles, which we know as homeopathy. It has remained until today the one essential cornerstone of homeopathy, the ultimate authority on its doctrine and its practice. Everything ever written on homeopathy proceeds from it. It was first published in 1810 in Cöthen, Germany. Hahnemann published five editions of the work during his lifetime and completed the manuscript of the sixth and final edition in 1842, the year before he died at the age of 88. This last edition was not published until 1921. The standard English version of the Organon has hitherto been a 19th century translation of the 5th edition to which a translation of the important changes introduced by Hahnemann in the 6th edition were later added in an effort to bring it up to date. Unfortunately, this translation is very tedious and difficult to read because it approximates in stilted Victorian English the dense and cumbersome style of Hahnemann's German. Hahnemann's language is difficult even for a modern German ear, and its little equivalent in English is a formidable obstacle to understanding. So going to pause for a second there, folks. So basically what it, they're saying here is it was difficult to translate this into English, uh, but yet I think the uh, translator here did a very good job. Uh, so, without further ado, we're going to actually get into some of these important precepts. And this uh, foreword was written by Jost Kunzel, M.D., Elaine uh, Naude, and Peter Pendleton. Those were the ones who translated this, apparently, uh, from the 1921 6th edition version. Uh, so, that being the case, it was originally published in 1810. Uh, so, with that being the case... This is an older writing, right? And much of this information has been lost to the modern era, and that's the whole point here. You need to go back and look uh, before about the 1930s or 1920s to find a lot of good information, it seems. And this is what uh, Crow refers to as before the modern edit, and I agree with him. Uh, we we see so much of that uh, when you go back to the older writings you find so much more depth than what you do in, uh, some of the more modern translations of things. So this goes back to before the modern edit. And this is actually, uh, this translation is copyrighted by the Hahnemann foundation. Let me see. Yes, it's uh, copyrighted by the Hahnemann foundation. 1982 is when, uh, you know, this, this translation or this particular copy, uh, was actually put to writing here. So, uh, Let's get into it. Now, in, in this uh, book, uh, Dr. Hahnemann lays out a bunch of different precepts about homeopathy, how it works, what its uh, basic ideas and you know foundational ideas behind it are, and why it stands up to scrutiny, why it's logical, why it works, and why it's the model that we should be using. So let's get into it, and we'll begin right here with his first precept here. The physician's highest calling, his only calling, is to make sick people healthy, to heal, as it is termed. It is not to weave so-called systems from fancy ideas and hypotheses about the inner nature of the vital processes and the origin of diseases in the invisible interior of the organism on which so many fame-seeking physicians have wasted their powers and time. Nor does it consist of trying endlessly to explain disease phenomena and their proximate cause, which will always elude him. Going to pause for a moment there. Listen to what Dr. Hahnemann's saying. He's saying a lot of people will waste time trying to describe these vital processes in a physical sense uh, within the interior of the body, right? And he's saying that uh, trying to explain the disease phenomena and their proximate cause always eludes the physician when they're trying to do so in this way. Uh, So let's keep that in mind as we read on. Nor does it consist of holding forth in unintelligible words or abstract and pompous expressions in an effort to appear learned so as to astonish the ignorant, while the world in sickness cries in vain for help. Going to pause again there. Does this hold true for you folks? I I certainly think it does. Our our modern medical system is, is so caught up in this uh, whole paradigm of uh, materialism and material thought and, and so much of the, I'm the doctor, I know all, you don't question my authority on this, I went to school for this, uh, it, that whole mentality, That's that's what he's talking about right here in a nutshell. They want to sound so very smart, and yeah, they may know some big fancy terms and words that you don't, Uh, But uh, what good does that do somebody if they're sick and they don't give that person uh, any kind of relief of their illness in all their wisdom, so to say? That's essentially what he's talking about here. He says the world cries out in sickness for in vain for help. Uh, When you have these doctors that don't understand the true precepts of disease and they're treating just symptoms rather than curing the disease or trying to uh, approach the disease and rid you of the disease. It's not true healing, right? It's just symptom management, disease management. That's what goes on in our modern medical system. Disease management, symptom management. That's all it is. It, there's, the whole model's based on that. Anyway, let's continue reading. Surely by now we have had enough of these pretentious fantasies called theoretical medicine for which university chairs have even been established. And it is time for those calling themselves physicians to stop deceiving poor human beings by their talk and to start acting instead. That is really helping and healing. And that's the end of his first precept here. And this is a call for anybody out there in the medical arts This is a call. This is what Dr. Hahnemann was doing. He was trying to call people out, call out these physicians. Hey, physician, know what you're talking about, right? This is what truly helping people is all about. It's not about, uh, you know, uh, all these big fancy words and trying to display your intelligence to them and coming up with all these unprovable, uh, fallacious theories about how all of these different diseases operate, right? Uh, pretending that you know exactly how something works when clearly we don't we still have these questions in the modern era in the uh, the era of big science here right so with that being said we have all of these different uh, ideologies that are out there floating around uh, all about the allopathic medicine and all about uh, different models of medicine germ theory terrain theory uh, which, by the way, I think both have a modicum of truth to them. I think germ theory does have some uh, aspects of truth to it, but uh, just like everything else, they've taken it and expanded it out to the ridiculous end that they have when they don't truly understand the operation of contagion or how disease really truly works. And that's what's being pointed out in these old al- or homeopathic texts. Uh, so, and that being the case... There's more to it, and as we read on here, you'll understand and you'll see what Dr. Hahnemann's talking about, and you'll understand there's a deeper uh, causative factor to all of this as well, and that uh, actually treating just the symptoms is not the solution to the problem, although it's a portion of solving the problem, but uh, homeopathy takes a different approach, than our allopathic medicine system. So that being the case, uh, and and by the way, uh, we'll see as we read on here, many of these ideas have been proven out through time and experimentation again and again uh, by many of these people. And, And keep in mind, this was written in 1810 originally. 1810, right? And many of these precepts still hold true today. But let's read on. Let's get to his second precept here. The highest ideal of therapy is to restore health rapidly, gently, permanently, to remove and destroy the whole disease in the shortest, surest, least harmful way, according to clearly comprehensible principles. And that's the end of his second precept here. And uh, if we listen to that, I mean, that sounds totally logical and reasonable, doesn't it? But he talks about permanently destroying the whole disease. When do we see that? In our modern era we truly don't like i said it's all about symptom management or disease management okay it's about managing symptoms it's not about truly curing anything and see this is the physician's true calling or at least this is what it should be or what it used to be uh, so that being the case that's what dr Hahneman was talking about here that's what he was calling these physicians to do is to actually practice healing rather than practice medicine, so to say, as they call it anymore, practicing medicine, uh, which, of course, in the modern era, alludes strictly to allopathic medicine, which is what we've largely adopted here in the West. Uh, but uh, there's there's something else, folks. There's better ways, there's older ways to look at things, and uh, some of these models have proven to be uh, more effective than you know, what we have today in many regards. Uh, So let's let's read on here. Here's precept number three. If the physician clearly perceives what has to be cured in disease, i.e. in each individual case of disease, knowledge of the disease, if he clearly perceives what it is in medicines which heals, i.e. in each individual medicine, knowledge of medicinal powers, If he applies in accordance with well-defined principles what is curative in medicines to what he has clearly recognized to be pathological in the patient, so that cure follows, i.e., if he knows in each particular case how to apply the remedy most appropriate by its character, selection of the remedy, Prepare it exactly as required and give it in the right amount, the correct dose. And repeat the dose exactly when required. And lastly, if in each case he knows the obstacles to cure and how to remove them, so that recovery is permanent, then he knows how to treat thoroughly and efficaciously and is a true physician. And that's the end of precept three. So you see, once again, this is calling out doctors, and physicians to be true physicians, right? To actually heal people, to remove this disease, all these diseases, permanently. These are the precepts homeopathy is based upon. It's about curing or healing diseases, removing them permanently, restoring people to permanent health. This is much different than our allopathic system, isn't it? Uh, when we look at the allopathic sy- system, it's about disease management. You go to the doctor. You have this symptom and that symptom and and this. Okay, they say, well, uh, I suspect it's this. And they, they give you a prescription, which is usually a petroleum-based drug, that they tell you to go home and take it for a couple weeks or whatever or give you an antibiotic or something like that. And uh, you can see <coughs> that... Uh, Many times the medicine itself has side effects and causes you (laughs) even more symptoms, more so than what you went to the doctor with. And usually, uh, in the case of something chronic, it doesn't give you any actual relief. It may give you temporary relief, but uh, then your symptoms come back even worse later on. And we'll get to that as we get through the reading more. There's a reason for that. Uh, So let's read on here precept number four the physician is likewise a preserver of health if he knows the things that disturb it that cause and sustain illness and if he knows how to remove them from healthy people so once again that's the end of precept four by the way folks and i don't know how many of these we'll get through tonight because there's a lot okay this is a a rather lengthy book uh, but i want to get through at least the first 15 or 20 because there's a lot of really, really pertinent and important stuff in the first 15 or 20 here uh, that I would like to cover a little bit. So, um, But that being the case, he's, once again, this is a call for physicians to know uh, about health, preserving health, know the things that disturb good health, uh, and what the things that will cause illness, these underlying causes. See, because that's something that's largely lost today. They, they don't regularly look for the underlying cause of something. What do they look for instead well let's see Uh, if we could find something under a microscope if we could find some uh, little blob of something or another under a microscope and uh, say that uh, you know this is a bacteria uh, that's causing this well what caused the bacteria to be there in the first place well that that they can't really say for sure in certain, certain regards but but there it is so that's what's causing you these symptoms they'll say and they'll give you something to treat that right uh so this falls back once again to the different thought processes here so they're looking at something strictly physical when they they're going by this this theory say they they find bacteria or something that uh, they associate with some type of a disease and then they treat you for that and and you recover right uh by by taking the antibiotic or whatever you kill off the bacteria But that takes another toll on your body so your body has to recover twice not only from the ailment itself but from the uh, the drug that you took to uh, help you get over the ailment so your body has to recover twice and must work twice as hard uh, to uh, heal from that Uh, but at any rate let's let's continue on here i don't want to get too far off track because there's still a lot of important information in here precept number five in addition, it will help the physician to bring about a cure if he can determine the most probable exciting cause in an acute case and the most significant phases in the evolution of a chronic, long-lasting disease, enabling him to discover its underlying cause, usually a chronic myism. In the this, he should consider the evident physical constitution of the patient, especially in chronic affections, his affective and intellectual character, his activities, his way of life, his habits, his social position, his family relationships, his age, his sexual life, etc. And that's the end of precept number five. And all of those things would require a physician to personally know his patient pretty well, right? Uh, when was the last time you had a doctor's appointment and didn't they rush you in and out of there in 15 minutes? Does your doctor know anything about you other than what they have in their little chart? that That's the other thing here. Medicines become become uh, very cold and calculating and all about, uh, you know, just reimbursement more than anything. Uh, and a lot of this has to do with insurance companies and the whole uh, profitability factor of all of this. Uh, So that's that's largely what's been done. So it's been depersonalized. And that's a lot of the problem with allopathic medicine. They'll give you a one-size-fits-all solution when that doesn't work for everyone, see? Whereas homeopathy takes a personal approach for the individual, trying to figure out what is the causative factors in this individual and how can we alleviate those causative factors. Right. Rather than, you know, you you go to the doctor, they see you, they talk to you for about 15 minutes, ask you what kind of symptoms you have, take your blood pressure and, you know, your temperature and that kind of thing and write you a prescription and send you out the door. Right. In 15 minutes, usually. Give or take. Right. So so this is one of the things that's wrong. Like people don't know their physicians, their physicians don't know them. They don't know anything about you essentially and this is all impor- important pertinent information that your physician should know right and that's part of the problem there's too many uh physicians out there that try to squeeze in too many patients and a lot of that problem is uh you know that they don't spend enough time getting to know their patients and you know what they don't care because it's it's all about keeping the patient flow rolling in and they know you'll be back, right? So that's the other thing. Uh, the, the patient retention uh, is, is a big factor today, whereas a homeopathist will tell you if you treat your patient and you cure their disease, you help them heal, you, you get them over their affliction, well, then they don't need you anymore. <laughs> you don't see them again. Not for the same thing anyway. But that's the mark of a true physician, and you know, with all the people that there are, uh, you you should think you know maybe uh, this this whole model of our medical system we have now is broken in a way because it what it does is it it creates repeat customers. The true mark of a physician is not having repeat customers. If you're if you're good at what you do. Logic would tell you, I mean, you, the people wouldn't be back. It's like the same thing if you take your car to the mechanic, right? There's something wrong with your car, so you take it there to get it fixed. The mechanic fixes it, and then, you know, two weeks later, you you have the same problem with it. It's broke again. Same thing. Are you going to keep going back to that same mechanic? It's the same ideology with our medical system today with the doctors. It it's, it's not cured, it's not fixed. And that's that's one of the precepts of homeopathy. They want it to be fixed. It's permanent. it's a restoration of health. That's what it's all about. That's the underlying undergirding idea here. But let's let's continue on because there's still a lot of ground to cover. Precept number six. The unprejudiced observer realizes the futility of metaphysical speculations that cannot be verified by experiment, and no matter how clever he is, he sees in any given case of disease only the disturbances of body and soul, which are perceptible to the senses. Subjective symptoms, incidental symptoms, objective symptoms, i.e. deviations from the former healthy condition of the individual, now sick, which the patient personally feels, which people around him notice, which the physician sees in him. The totality of these perceptible signs represents the entire extent of the sickness. Together, they constitute its true and only conceivable form. And I'm going to pause for a second there. So notice that Dr. Hahnemann talked about disturbances of body and soul, right? This is an acknowledgment made in homeopathy that's not made in our conventional allopathic medicine. They look at unseen causes, unseen forces within these different precepts of things. Uh, So they they take that into consideration, spiritual things, spiritual causes, various things of that nature as well, rather than strictly sticking to the physical paradigm or the hyper-materialist viewpoint. As I like to call it, the hypermaterialist paradigm, where they want to quantify everything as a strictly physical phenomenon, and it's not. The, the, see, that's the whole thing that is acknowledged in homeopathy. That's not acknowledged through allopathy. Is there's an unseen phenomenon, force of some sort, at work here in uh, the, say, the the. Uh, mechanics so to say of contagion right and it's not understood it's still not understood although our modern medicine and modern science would have you believe that uh, everything has to do with tiny particles right the the bumping around of tiny particles whether it be atoms molecules um you know Germs, bacteria, viruses, whatever, all of these different tiny particles, and this falls back on uh, uh, the, uh, a greater philosophy here, okay? This falls back on a, a broader philosophy. It falls back on the philosophy of atomism, okay, uh, which is what much of our modern science is based upon. There's always been, in the history of the world, only two models of science, of physics, so to say that have ever been introduced by man, or have ever been thought on by man. Uh, One of these is the atomistic principle, the principle of atomism, where everything is made of uh, all of these tiny particles, and it's the interaction of these tiny particles uh, that constitute all sorts of phenomena. The other model is what we would call the ether model, which has a lot of weight to it when you go back and you look at this. This uh, talks about things in a more energetic principle type state, right, rather than looking at all of these tiny particles and claiming that uh, it's all the interaction of these tiny particles. Now, do we have basic particles that everything's made of? Yes, we do, but I don't think they function in the way that our mainstream or quantum science, they like the word quantum, would want us to believe. See, uh, they're trying to quantify something that uh, they can't accurately measure, That's what they're doing when they're talking in these terms. So they're trying to equate this down to the physical. Once again, it's all about trying to uh, fit this thing into a box, a very tiny box, so to say, where it could be quantified and measured as nothing more than physical phenomena uh, that ties us back to this hyper-materialist viewpoint, and thus disregarding things like energetic principles, like uh, things like spirit and soul, and uh, the possibility of other energetic principles at work that are unseen, uh, forces in our world that we don't understand, but they manifest somehow, uh, despite uh, them not being quantifiable in a physical sense. Uh, But this is what uh, this falls back on, and it's a a broader philosophy that encapsulates so much of our thinking in the modern age. But I don't want to get too much on a side tangent there with that. But uh, let's read on here so uh, we could see. Now this is still Precept 6. He has a couple subcategorizations under it where he talks a little bit more in depth about what he was saying here. So <clears throat> let's read on. This is why I do not know how at the sick bed, one can imagine that one has to seek out and can find what is to be cured in disease only in the hidden and unknowable interior of the human organism. How one can fail to pay most careful attention to symptoms, and be scrupulously guided by them to cure. I do not know how one can be so ridiculous and presumptuous as to try to recognize what has changed in the depths of the body without paying special attention to the symptoms, or how one can try to re-establish its order with medicines of which one knows nothing, calling this method the only radical and rational therapy. As far as the physician is concerned, "...is not that which reveals itself to the senses in symptoms, the very disease itself. He can never see the immaterial element, the vital force causing the disease. He need never see it. To cure, he needs only to see and understand its morbific effects." What kind of prima causa morbid is the old school looking for in the hidden depths of the body if it rejects and haughtily disdains the comprehensible and clearly perceptible manifestations of disease, i.e., the symptoms speaking in understandable language? What else do they want to cure in disease but these symptoms? And that's the end of Precept 6. Now, he brings out a a lot of important points here and a, a lot of important ideas. So he's saying here, that uh, many uh, uh, in our modern medical system they try to treat this unknowable element right Th- this thing that they can't truly see or identify uh, per se so they they're looking for something that might not be there right they're 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 viewing the symptoms as being, Just that as being a a subcategorization of the disease and not the disease itself. Uh, The disease itself manifests as symptoms. Uh, So that being the case, you you could see many, if you look at, uh, say for a modern example here, look at many of the diseases we have today. You've got flu and you've got colds and you have all of those other various things and, you know, some that are more notable and newsworthy today that I don't really want to mention right now because I'm so sick to death of talking about it. But uh, all of these things have very similar symptoms. Are they all the same thing? Hmm? Uh, some would say yes, some would say no. Uh, but uh, a lot of it has to do with something else that's not measurable, right? It's not, a say, a different... Uh, type of a, a microbe or something, so to say, that necessarily is behind it because different people have different effects and different symptoms from the same illness, don't they? It's it's all about how it manifests and, and some of it has to do with some other energetic principle. And that's uh, what Dr. Hahnemann was talking about here. He recognized here that uh, the vital force Causing the disease is the important part, right? This is something immeasurable, unseeable, and unknowable in our uh, type of physical observation, so to say. We see it manifest as symptoms, uh, but to understand it, we need to look at it in a different view, right, as being something like a vital force. Uh, We have vital force that manifests within us. This is what uh, makes us alive, right? Right. There's vital forces that are at play here. Things that are not understandable. Uh, our modern medicine, they don't understand. What makes something alive? Uh, you could have all of these different things, uh, these, these different uh, precursor chemicals and stuff like that to, uh, you know, ostensibly make life. But what causes life? Well, it's this vital force that's been disregarded by our modern science and by our modern medicine that, you know, enlivens things. And, and this is what it's all about. It's a disruption in the vital force. Homeopathy recognizes this. Allopathic medicine does not even take it into consideration because it's talking about something that is not objectively measurable or quantifiable in a physical sense. And that's what uh, much of our modern science is all about. It's about pushing this hyper-materialist paradigm. Uh, so with that being said, uh, let's, let's continue on here because Dr. Hahnemann will bring some many more important truths uh, to the forefront here as we continue on. So let's go into precept number seven. Since one may know a disease only by its symptoms, when there is no obvious exciting or sustaining cause, causa occasionalis, to be removed, it is evident that only the symptoms, together with any possible miasm and additional circumstances, must guide the choice of the appropriate appropriate, curative medicine. So, it is the totality of symptoms, the outer image expressing the inner essence of the disease, i.e., of the, distrib- of the disturbed vital force that must be the main, even the only, means by which the disease allows us to find the necessary remedy, the only one that can decide the appropriate choice. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Uh, so he's saying here, it's the totality of the symptoms, and he explains this as the outer image expressing the inner essence of the disease, right? So the symptoms are the outward expression. It's all about images, once again. Uh, we, we could fall back on this idea, and I know I've talked about uh, the changing images of man, that book, and the importance of images, and even if you go into uh, uh, religious iconography and stuff like that the idea of the image is hugely important and it's the same thing here this is like the the physical outward manifestation the appearance of something that is invisible right it's the visible uh manifestation of the invisible world uh, and this is what he's acknowledging here uh so you know the totality of the symptoms uh you know are the outer image of the inner essence of the disease and he describes the disease here. It's the disturbed vital force. And he's saying this is the only way, this is the only means, the main means by which you need to find the remedy for these diseases. Uh, so let's let's continue on here and see what else Dr. Hahnemann has to say. Because this stuff's hugely important, folks. It really is. It, it, it takes a little bit of stepping back and forgetting everything you thought you knew and looking at the world in a different way, Right looking at medicine in a different way. But let's continue on. Briefly, in every individual case of disease, the totality of the symptoms must be the physician's principal concern, the only object of his attention. The only object of his attention. He repeats it twice there, folks. The only thing to be removed by his intervention in order to cure, i.e. to transform the disease into health. And it says here, in this next subsection here, because this is a long uh, precept, right? It says, "Let's continue on." It is obvious that every reasonable physician will, first of all, remove the causa occasionalis. I'm gonna pause for a second. What's the causa occasionalis? Well, this would be the the primary causative factor, right, or the one of the uh, aggravating factors, uh, so to say here. Uh, so this is uh, what. The physician should seek to do. But let's read on. After that, the indisposition usually disappears on its own. For instance, he removes from the sick room the strong-smelling flowers that have brought on faintness and hysterical manifestations. He removes from the cornea the foreign body that is producing ophthalmia. He loosens and readjusts the tight bandage that threatens to cause gangrene in a wounded limb. He uncovers and ties the severed artery that is causing shock. He tries by emetics to void the belladonna berries, etc., that have been swallowed. He removes the foreign objects introduced into the natural openings of the body. He crushes the stones in the bladder. He opens the imperforate anus of the newborn infant, etc., uh, so, gonna pause for a second. So he's giving a lot of examples here. Here's what you do: you take away what is the obvious main cause to a lot of the problem, right? This this would be commonsensical in certain ways, wouldn't it? Uh, so, but let's continue on. See what else he says. Point number two under here. Usually, not knowing what else to do, the old school has always tried to combat and, wherever possible, suppress through medicines only one of the many symptoms that diseases present, a short-sighted method called symptomatic therapy. This has justly earned general contempt not only because it does not do any real good, but because it does so much harm a single symptom, is no more the whole disease than a single foot a whole man. This method is all the more objectionable because it treats a particular symptom with an opposite remedy in a merely an or palliative way with the result that it returns much worse than before after a short alleviation. And that's the end of precept number seven. But what he's saying here is uh, essentially... Treating the single symptom or the the single most prevalent symptom uh, of something with the opposite remedy, they use an opposite of this thing to combat this and eliminate it. Uh, Think in terms of, uh, okay, say you have a bacterial infection, biotic, right? So they would use an antibiotic to treat that. Uh, So this is the opposite remedy. And it says here that the result is it will give you a short alleviation, but then the thing will return. This disease will t- return later, even worse than it was before. At some point, in many instances, and uh, we we see that sometimes, don't we? Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm not knocking the antibiotics. They they do work for certain things. I mean, they, they definitely help people recover. Uh, but once again, it's it's one of those uh, one of those catch 22s where once you. You, you get the antibiotic and you recover from the disease per se, then you have to recover from the antibiotic itself. So your body works double time, right? It has so much more to heal from with that, whereas this actually causes, you know, more more harm to the body. And that's exactly what uh, Dr. Hahnemann's pointing out here in regards to something like that. Uh, but let's move on here. <clears throat> Still got a lot of ground to cover. Precept number eight. "...after the elimination of all the symptoms and perceptible signs of disease, one cannot imagine or demonstrate by any experiment in the world that anything but health remains, that anything but health could remain, nor can one doubt that all the pathological changes inside the organism have been neutralized." When someone has been cured by a real physician, so that no sign or symptom of disease remains and all the indications of health have permanently returned, can one without affronting human intelligence possibly maintain that the disease continues to dwell somewhere in the human economy? Yet this is what a past authority of the old school, Hugh Flind, and I'm uh, going to pause for a second. I don't know exactly who Hugh Flind is, but this is, uh, you know, uh, somebody that Hahnemann uh, cites here, maintained when he said homeopathy can remove symptoms, but the disease remains. He said this partly out of spite because of the progress of homeopathy for the good of mankind, and partly because of his still totally materialistic conception of disease. Going to pause there. Materialistic conception of disease. That's the problem with modern allopathy, folks. We have a strictly materialistic conception of disease, and there's so much more to it that's acknowledged through homeopathy, Uh, but yet is not acknowledged by mainstream medicine today. And I guess this Hufland guy uh, claimed that uh, homeopathy had the same problem as allopathic medicine, right? That uh, it can remove symptoms, but the disease remains. Well, I guess, uh, you know, uh, according to Hahnemann, this guy was just spitefully saying that and trying to discredit homeopathy for some reason. I don't know the whole history there, but that might be something that's interesting to look into as well. If you're one of those people that's interested in a lot of that type of history. But uh, let's continue on here. He could not conceive of it as a state of being of the organism, dynamically untuned by a disturbed vital force, as an alteration in the state of health, but considered it as a material thing, which could, after a cure, remain hidden in some secret corner of the organism to reveal its material presence at a later date, breaking out at will right in the mists of flourishing health. Such is as yet the blindness of the old pathology. After all, after all that, no wonder, it has no other therapy to offer than sweeping clean the poor patient. And that's the end of precept 8. So uh, essentially, it's he's talking about here, um, sweeping clean the poor patient. Well, that means uh, taking all the patient's money. That's what he's talking about. Uh, so claiming that you can treat a disease and claim that it's cured, but it may resurface later, and that's total, totally normal and acceptable. That's that's part of the problem here as well, right? And, and this is something that's that's largely been adopted through our allopathic system. We have more chronic disease today, folks, than has ever existed in the history of mankind that we were able to observe uh, through historical records and you know through documentation and observation. There's more of it today. It's more prevalent. There's just so many things wrong with people. Uh, we live in a toxic society, for sure. And a lot of that has to do with this total disregard of these vital energies, right? This vital force uh, that Dr. Hahnemann's talking about here. So let's continue on. Here's precept number nine. And uh, this will start to you know to be where you, you could put it all together uh, with this different... Uh, different... Uh, Way of thinking, I guess, is the best way to put it. In the state of health, the spirit-like vital force, dynamis, animating the material human organism, reigns in supreme sovereignty. It maintaining the sensations and activities of all the parts of the living organism in a harmony that obliges wonderment. The reasoning spirit who inhabits the organism can thus freely use this healthy living instrument to reach the lofty goal of human existence. That's the end of precept 9. So you see here, this is an underlying precept for homeopathy. It acknowledges a spirit-like vital force that it calls a dynamis, animating the material human organism. And it says it remains in supreme sovereignty. And it gives you this state of health. This is the thing that gives you health and maintains health, okay? This dynamis, this vital force, this unseen, unimmeasurable thing that it is not physical phenomena, right? This is underlying. It's an invisible causative force, so to say, and it causes you health and well-being. And when this, uh, you know, has some type of unbalance in it or uh, some type of disturbance in it. This is what causes disease. Dis, ease. See, and and so many of these ideas are much older uh, than you know what we might think as well, because this ties back to uh, the very old alchemical works and alchemical thought as well. Uh, but uh, at any rate, uh, we could see that uh, this is one of the main principles that helps to explain the operation of homeopathy, right? And it's something that's lost to our modern society. We're not thinking in these terms. And that's part of the problem. And that's why we have so much chronic illness and so many things wrong. But let's continue on here. We'll do precept number 10. Without the vital force, the material organism is unable to feel or act or maintain itself. Only because of the immaterial being, the vital principle, vital force, that animates it in health and in disease can it feel and maintain its vital functions. Without the vital force, the body dies. And then, delivered exclusively to the forces of the outer material world, it decomposes, reverting to its chemical constituents. And that's the end of Precept 10, and this is also a hugely important idea. The body without its animus, right, without its spirit, this immaterial being, as he calls it, that animates the, the body. This is what brings us health. And, you know, when uh, the body dies, this vital force exits and it's no longer there. And then what happens to the body? Well, it breaks down into its chemical constituents, doesn't it? We see this in nature. What, what changed, Right. What changed? That, that's the thing that people don't truly understand, what our modern science can't explain. When the spirit leaves the body, why does the body fail to function anymore? Right? And, and this is something that's thats not explicable by our modern science. They don't truly understand. So, you know, that being the case, what what causes this to break down? Well, this is what's what's being talked about here. It's acknowledging this vital force, right? This vital principle, this this spirit idea or soul idea. And uh, this is, you know, something that emanates from an invisible place into visible manifestation in the outward image. Remember, we were talking earlier about the outward image. Well, that would be our physical body, which, uh, you know, shows uh, as a reflection of the inner workings, right? So, that being the case, the, the, uh, it, it's a reflection of the invisible world, in our visible world, so to say. But let's continue on here. Precept number 11. When man falls ill, it is at first only this self-sustaining spirit-like vital force, the vital principle, everywhere present in the organism which is untuned by the dynamic influence of the hostile disease agent. It is only this vital force, thus untuned, which brings about in the organism the disagreeable sensations and abnormal functions that we call disease. Being invisible and recognizable solely by its effects on the organism, it can express itself and reveal its untunement only by pathological manifestations in feeling and function. The only aspects of the organism accessible to the senses of the observer and the physician, i.e., disease symptoms. So let's continue on here because there's uh, once again some subcharacterizations uh, under or categorizations under this uh, this point here, this precept. Uh, so he's exploring some valuable ideas here. He's saying that there's you know this self-sustaining spirit-like vital force, this vital principle. In the organism when it becomes untuned right by the influence of this hostile disease state uh, that's when we see these physical symptoms appear why when we see disease symptoms right so then this is an outward manifestation of something happening happening that's not visible outwardly right so let's continue on here what is dynamic influence dynamic force We see that the Earth causes the moon to revolve around it in 28 days and a number of hours by some invisible mysterious force, and that the moon, in its turn, produces in the ocean at regular intervals alternating tides of ebb and flow, with some variations at the full and the new moon. We see this and are amazed because our senses do not realize how it happens." Obviously, this is not produced by material means or by the mechanical contrivances of man, and we see about us a great many other events caused by the action of one substance upon another without being able to detect any visible sequence of cause and effect. Only a cultivated man accustomed to comparison and abstraction can intuitively form an idea of this phenomenon. Upon reflection, he sees it to be beyond material and mechanical influences. He terms it the dynamic a virtual action of forces, that which takes place by the absolute specific pure power that one force exerts upon another. In the same way, the dynamic force with which pathogenic influences act on healthy individuals and the dynamic force with which medicines act upon the vital principle to restore health are nothing but a contagion devoid of any material or mechanical aspect. A magnet powerfully attracts a piece of iron or steel near it in a similar way. One sees that the piece of iron is attracted by a pole of the magnet, but does not see how this takes place. The invisible force of the magnet does not need any mechanical material means, such as a hook or lever. It attracts the iron or a steel needle by its own pure, non-material, invisible, spirit-like force we have here a dynamic phenomena. Moreover, it invisibly dynamically transmits magnetic force to the steel needle, which in turn becomes magnetic even without being touched by the magnet, even at some distance, and is then able to transmit the same magnetic quality to other steel needles dynamically. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. This is hugely important here, what Dr. Hahnemann's pointing out. Uh, And I don't think it's by accident that he points to magnetism, the force of magnetism. I think these things relate in a very intrinsic way and much the same way that a magnet can impart magnetism to a nearby piece of steel or iron, so to say, and cause that to become magnetic. This is, in uh, his view very similar as to how contagion works. See, it's an invisible type of dynamic force rather than some, say, germ, right? Hmm. So uh, you, you see there's other aspects at play here, and it, it really takes you uh, outside of thinking inside the box, doesn't it? When you, you consider this in these types of terms, you can see the manifestation, you can see uh, you know, the, the magnetic effect that it now has, but you, you can't really figure out where did this come from? Like, is it, you know, uh, he points out a magnet can, can attract this piece of iron or steel without need of any type of physical mechanism, like a hook or anything like that. It draws it in. It's a dynamic force, right? It's an unseen force that we have very poor conception or understanding of. It's the same thing going on with health and within the person. And I think the whole, uh, connection here between magnetism and health. Uh, This is an important distinction to make, and I I think he's on to something here. There's uh, some type of a a connection between the two, in my view, as far as this goes. And this is why I think frequency, uh, you know, EMF radiation, all these electromagnetic frequencies, why they wreak such havoc on the human being. I think it's all part and parcel of the same thing going on. Uh, as far as like the the contagion the idea of contagion how contagion works how disease is truly transmitted all of these things it, it's imparted in a way that's different than what we're taught to think it's not this strictly physical atomistic way of thinking whereas it's this interaction between particles uh, no it's an interaction of forces and that's the thing it's an interaction of invisible forces that emanate from elsewhere from outside the psychophysical And that's what's not being uh, acknowledged in our modern science and in our modern medicine, but which homeopathy readily recognizes. Uh, So that being the case, uh, let's let's continue on here. I don't want to get too hung up on sidetracks because there's still a lot to cover. The action of medicines upon living people must be judged in a similar way. Natural substances that have been found to be medicinal are so only by virtue of their power, specific to each one of them, to modify the human organism through a dynamic, spirit-like effect transmitted through sensitive living tissue upon the spirit-like vital principle that governs life. Those natural substances that, in a narrower sense we call medicines, are so only because they have the power to bring about changes in animal life. These medicinal substances, capable of acting on the organism, exert their non-material dynamic influence only on the spirit-like vital force. In the same way, the magnetic pole communicates to the steel needle, as if by contagion, only magnetic force and not other qualities, such as increased hardness or malleability, etc., Thus, any particular medicine will change the condition of a person's health by a sort of contagion in its own specific way and not in the way some other medicine would act, just as certainly as the proximity of a child with smallpox will communicate to a healthy child, smallpox, and never measles. And I'm going to pause there for a minute, folks. This is an important idea as well. So see what he's pointing out here. He's pointing out that uh, some of these underlying energetic principles they, they will manifest in a similar way to the whole magnetism, uh, type of analogy there, right? So that a child with smallpox, well, he will transmit smallpox to another child and not measles, right? Uh, so, you know, if you get in proximity, uh, to, uh, this child with smallpox, uh, then that energy will, uh, you know, uh, manifest from the child and, and, uh, maybe leech off in much the same way that magnetic force uh, causes this this same type of thing with nearby iron, right? It, it, he's He's pointing out the analogy here, but it will never make it something else, right? So if the child has smallpox, well then that contagion will spread the smallpox to the other child. So the other child won't just simply come down with like something like measles instead. Uh, So, you see, it's all about the energetic principle behind it, the the vital force, the disturbance in the vital force. It's a very specific type of a thing. Uh, So, the mechanism of action here is viewed in a different way. It's a manifestation of an invisible force, so to say, uh, affecting people in much the same way magnetism affects nearby objects. You see, it's all about frequency and vibration, like Tesla said. Uh, so uh, this kind of thing, when when you're thinking in those terms, it's all about these these vital principles, these vital forces, and how they interact with one another. Uh, so that being the case, it's a different way to think about contagion uh, for one thing and a different way to think about medicine for another. But let's read on here. I don't want to get hung up on those sidetracks again. <coughs> The influence of medicines upon our organism is exerted dynamically as if by contagion without the transmission of the slightest particle of the material medicinal substance. When indicated, the smallest dose of a properly dynamized medicine in which calculation shows that there is only an infinitesimal amount of material substance left, so little that it cannot be imagined or conceived by the best mathematicians exerts far more healing power than strong material doses of the same medicine. This very subtle dose, which contains almost nothing but the spirit-like medicinal force released and freed, can bring about, solely by its dynamic power, results impossible to obtain with crude medicinal substances, even in massive doses. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. This is also a hugely important idea. Uh, so essentially he's saying by diluting the substances in the ways that uh, homeopaths do uh, down to an infinitesimally small uh, physical portion of this said medicine, what this does is as the physical of the, the medicine sheds away, this leaves behind the dynamic uh, spirit-like substance, right? The, the invisible force and it makes it stronger, right? It makes it stronger, more potent in the uh, the the vital force aspect of this. So it leaves behind the vital force or effectiveness of the the medicinal uh, substance, whereas the physical substance has been diluted down. Uh, so this is an important idea, and this is what uh, homeopathy is based upon. Uh, so let's read on. The specific invisible medicinal force of these highly potentized remedies does not depend on their material atoms or on their physical surfaces, ideas that are the product of useless and still materialistic theorizing about the higher power of potentized remedies. On the contrary, it is the invisible energy of the crude substance released and freed to the highest possible extent, which is to be found in the minute impregnated globule or its solution. Upon contact with living tissue, the medicinal force acts dynamically on the whole organism in a specific way, without communicating to it the smallest material particle however subtle, and it does so more and more powerfully as it becomes freer and less material through progressive dynamization. Going to pause there. So by diluting this substance down, the medicinal substance down to uh, nearly uh, no, almost no part of it is still that substance, right? It's, it's mostly uh, mixed in uh, a dilution like water or some, uh, something of that sort. It leaves behind the energy, right? The energetic principle. Uh, it remains at an even stronger, um, how should we say, vitalization than what the, the physical substance would by itself. Uh, so this is the whole concept here. Uh, not to, you know, banter on too long about that same point, but let, let's continue reading here because we still have a few more important points I want to touch on before we sign off tonight. In our time, which boasts such enlightened and deep, deep-thinking deep souls, does it have to be so impossible to conceive of a non-material dynamic force when we see around us every day so many phenomena that cannot be explained in any other way? Is it through taking substantial doses of an emetic to bring about anti-peristaltic movements in the stomach that we feel nausea at the sight of something sickening is it not exclusively the dynamic action of seeing something revolting upon our imagination do we need a lever or a visible material contraption to lift an arm is it not exclusively the non-material dynamic force of the will which lifts it And that's the end of Precept 11. So essentially what he's saying here is we look around in nature and we see all these things manifest that we have no explanation for how they work. Do we really need to have some type of a physical uh, mechanism by which this works? Like, think about that. So what he's talking about here is he's saying, have you ever seen something that's made you nauseous, made your stomach, stomach sick, make you throw up maybe? Hmm? Was that caused by some type of a, uh, I don't know, a material something or another that uh, came off of that sickening sight or whatever and, and and got inside you and made you ill? Or was it just the your mere reaction to seeing something sickening like that? Like a good example is I know a lot of people that uh, if they see somebody throw up, they themselves will throw up, right? Well, why is that? It's not like they were actually, you know... Uh, made ill, like, uh, that, you know, all of a sudden some germ came flying over from the vomiting person to them and made them ill as well, uh, that's not how this works. It's simply the, the mere sight of it. It's a, uh, well, for some people it's like a gag reflex, I would say, so, you know. But it's it's exclusively just the sight, something revolting upon your imagination, as he says here. So this in and of itself is a causative factor that's not looked at uh, through much of our modern uh, lens here. And he also talks about this dynamic force of the will, uh, like if you want to lift your arm. Well, how do you do that? Well, you just lift your arm, right? You pick your arm up you just by the sheer force of will because you want to. Uh, so you, you you make it so. Uh, that's not explainable, <laughs> that that dynamic energy uh, that went into moving the arm yeah they could explain it okay well your your brain sends the electrical impulse down to your you know through your nervous system to your arm and it reacts and and this and that well well what causes your brain to what's the force that causes your brain to send out that electrical impulse these are the things that are not known by science that are acknowledged in this homeopathic model that aren't acknowledged in allopathy right this dynam this dynamis this dynamic force uh, this vital force so to say. Uh, that enlivens us, gives us life, right? It's it's this mysterious thing that from, you know, an invisible place uh, that we can't really measure in a material type way. Uh, so, you know, that being the case, uh, this stuff's acknowledged by homeopathy, where it's not by our modern allopathic medical system. But let's continue on. I want to hit on a, at least a few more points here before we sign off. So here's precept number 12. It is only the pathologically untuned vital force that causes diseases. The pathological manifestations accessible to our senses express all the internal changes, i.e., the whole pathological disturbance of the dynamis that reveal the whole disease. Conversely, the cessation through treatment of all the symptoms, i.e. the disappearance of all perceptible deviations from health, necessarily implies that the vital principle has recovered its integrity and therefore that the whole organism has returned to health. Conversely, The cessation through treatment of all the symptoms, i.e. the disappearance of all perceptible deviations from health, necessarily implies that the vital principle has recovered its integrity and therefore that the whole organism has returned to health. And I think that got repeated here. Sorry about that, folks. (laughs) So that being the case, let's continue on. Uh, That's weird that it's here twice. It's the same paragraph uh, back to back there. Uh, let's, Let's read on. How does the vital force bring the organism to produce symptoms, i.e., how does it make disease? Such questions are of no value to the physician. The answers will always be hidden from him. The master and lord of life has revealed to his senses only what is necessary and completely sufficient to cure diseases. So I'm going to pause for a moment there because that's the end of precept number 12 anyway. So what he's saying here is... uh, we don't really know what makes disease, but we don't need to know what it is in order to cure the disease. That's that's also a precept of homeopathy. You don't need to know what the root cause is, per se, in order to cure the root cause, uh, but we have various uh, means of uh, logical breakdown of these different ideas to be able to uh, come up with a curative agent for it. That's, that's what's said here. Uh, in the homeopathic model. And uh, he gives credit to God here. He says, The Master, with a capital M, and Lord of life, has revealed to his senses only what is necessary and completely sufficient to cure diseases. So we have everything we need as far as, you know, a trained physician in homeopathy and various other things. They have what they need in order to help heal people, right? That's what's being said here. And even though they may not completely understand the root causes of disease or this uh, uh, this dynamic, this dynamis, this uh, disturbance within the dynamis or the the vital force of the person, they could still treat it through various means by recognizing the symptoms and knowing what to treat the various symptoms with, uh, you know, through different means here. But let's let's continue on. Precept number 13, it follows that disease, excluding surgical cases, is not, as the allopaths believe, number one, an entity, however subtle, hidden in the interior of the organism, separate from its living totality, or and, and entities separate from the vital force, from the dynamic power that gives life to the organism. Such a phantom can be conceived only by materialistic minds. It is the phantom that has for millennia pushed official medicine along the deadly road it has traveled, making it an art of darkness incapable of healing. And it says here, Materia Pecans. Uh, So uh, that's the end of, you know, precept number 13 here. But let's break that down a little bit. So he's saying here that according to the allopaths, they believe that an entity he's calling it, however subtle, hidden in the interior of the organism, separate from its living totality, or an entity separate from the vital force, from the dynamic power that gives life to the organism. That's what they claim is the cause of disease. Germ theory. Right? Germs. So they're saying here that this entity, this germ, this microbe, this bacterium, this uh, virus, this whatever, this is what the allopaths say. This is the thing that causes disease. It's something separate that, uh, you know, uh, exists outside of the human being or the human body and doesn't belong there and invades the human body. That's what the claim is here from the allopaths. Uh, But he's saying here, such a phantom can be conceived only by materialistic minds. And he's saying that this is the road that has made medicine go in a bad direction. Because this does not acknowledge the idea of the dynamis, right? Of the vital force, of the disruption and disturbance of the vital force that causes the onset of these physical symptoms, or the manifestation of this said thing that they they would see or you know measure as a microbe, so to say, as a manifestation, as a uh, um, an effect of the actual disease state itself, rather than the thing that causes the disease. It's not the causative factor. The causative factor lies within the energy field. See, and this is the important idea. But uh, let's continue on. I think I want to cover at least the next two or three points, and then we're going to sign off and call it a night. Precept number 14. There is no curable disease or morbific alteration hidden in the interior of the body, which does not announce itself to the conscientiously observant physician through objective and subjective symptoms. This is what the omniscient preserver of human life has provided in his infinite goodness. So that's the end of precept 14. So, once again, he's acknowledging God uh, here as being an important, uh, um, you know, distinguishing factor in a lot of this. So, he says this is what the omniscient preserver of human life has provided in his infinite goodness, right? That uh, when something's not right, when we have this disease or our health is out of line, there will be observable symptoms, whether they be objective symptoms or subjective symptoms. We'll be able to know something's wrong. And this is something that uh, God gave us in his wisdom. Like he, he knows in his goodness and his wisdom that were we not to recognize that something was wrong uh, within our, our vital body, this could cause more harm, so that's why we manifest symptoms that show that something's wrong, so that we can take corrective actions, so to say, right? Uh, so that that's part of this as well. And once again, like uh, uh, many of these homeopaths and these physicians, they acknowledge God, and they acknowledge Him as the great physician, as you know has been said in the, the Bible as well. Uh, So many of these ideas fall back on those type of, you know, ideologies from earlier times as well. But at any rate, let's continue on here. Uh, Precept number 15. In the invisible interior of the body... The suffering of the pathologically untuned spirit-like dynamis, the vital force, animating the organism and the totality of perceptible symptoms that results and that represents the disease are one and the same. And I'm going to pause for a second there. This is of huge importance here. Okay, so it's saying here uh, the pathology that underlies the, the vital force, this disturbance in the vital force, and the perceptible symptoms that appear externally that represent the disease, these are one and the same thing, okay? So the the causative factor uh, lies within the vital force itself and can only be cured by curing the vital force of this disease, so to say, or this disturbance in the dynamis thereof. Uh, So that being the case, it's important to look at uh, this invisible type of uh, nature of things and treat that first, because when you treat that first, that will manifest in the physical afterwards. See, uh, it's it's always the causative uh, action of all this always lies in the vital force first, and then it will manifest in the material or physical sense. So if you have something wrong, uh, that's affecting your physical well-being, uh, there's a, uh, a reflection of that within the vital force, see, because that's where the causative agent stems from. Uh, so you need to treat that causative agent within the vital force, and then the physical body will reverse course and heal itself when your vital force is restored to health. And, and this is the concept here that's, that's so important that falls back on homeopathy. Uh, that's not even acknowledged by allopathic medicine. So simply treating the symptom externally is not going to uh, get to the the causative factor in the vital force. See, uh, so you're just going to have a remanifestation later of physical symptom at some point uh, when you you leave this go in that regard. So it, it's all about this totality of uh, of soul, and body, right? Uh, so th- this is the approach that homeopathy takes. So this is this is hugely important. Uh, but uh, let's, let's continue on here. The organism in the material instrument of life, but it is no more conceivable without the life-giving, regulating, instinctively feeling dynamis, is conceivable without the organism. The two are one, even if thought separates... Or sorry, even if thought separates them to facilitate comprehension. So the organism is the material instrument of life. Sorry, I read that wrong. I'm going to read that whole paragraph again so as not to confuse. The organism is the material instrument of life, but it is no more conceivable without the life-giving, regulating, instinctively feeling dynamis is conceivable without the organism. The two are one, even if thought separates them to facilitate comprehension. Uh, so gonna pause there. So essentially to break this down a little bit more, um, it's saying spirit and body are are united. This vitalizing force within the body is united with the physical body, and it is uh, kind of a one and the same. they're they're in, intrinsically tied together and they affect one another. Uh, but it's usually the, the, the causation, right? The vital force is where the causative factor takes place that shows the physical manifestation. So with that being said, uh, we could see that uh, only by this dynamis is it conceivable that uh, we can actually treat uh, any type of dis-ease or, or illness per se. Uh, we, we need to treat both of these together. So ignoring uh, this, this life force, so to say, or this, this spirit, this soul, uh, this, this spiritual aspect to it, ignoring that is not doing us any favors. And much of our allopathic medicine is strictly the materialist paradigm, right? It's strictly about the physical aspects of this and ignoring those spiritual aspects. Anyway, let's continue on, and I think we're just going to go ahead and cover precept number 16, and then we're going to wrap it up and call it a night here. Uh, Because like I said, this is a long book, and there's a lot more very valuable information in here, but I just wanted to touch upon some of these key um, aspects or precepts of homeopathy, like all of these things that underlie the thought process here. So if you're having trouble understanding it, well, you need to think outside the box and look at it in a new perspective. Okay, Precept 16. Outer malefic agents that harm the healthy organism and disturb the harmonious rhythm of life can reach and affect the spirit-like dynamis only in a way that also is dynamic and spirit-like. The physician can remove these pathological untunements or diseases only by acting on our spirit-like vital force with medicines having equally spirit-like dynamic effects that are perceived by the nervous sensitivity everywhere present in the organism. So it is only by dynamic action upon the vital principle that remedies can restore health and the harmony of life after the perceptible changes in health, the totality of symptoms, have revealed the disease to be to the carefully observing and inquiring physician fully enough to be cured. And that's the end of Precept 16, and essentially uh, that's the bottom line here, folks. It's all about you have to treat this dynamis, as the, he calls it here, this uh, this life essence, so to say, this, uh, this spirit-like dynamic force, that vital f- force that enlivens us, gives us life, uh, it's only through treating this invisible uh, aspect of ourselves first uh, with these different medicines and, and using these concepts that will actually cure us of the disease. So, uh, this falls back on some old alchemical thought, too, because it's all about thinking in a more philosophic type way. You're thinking outside the bounds of the physical. And this is something that our society has a huge problem with. Everything in the view of modern society has to be phys- physically measurable and um, you know quantifiable in some way in order for them to acknowledge the truth of it. This is a problem because when you have an invisible world, so to say, uh, of manifestation around us from which our life essence flows uh, and and these various ideas, that's something you can't quantify or measure, right? Like I said, we don't truly understand how this all works, but yet, uh, you know, our modern medicine will claim they they understand uh, many of the precepts of how these things work, but clearly... They don't, because there is this underlying uh, animus to us, this, this dynamus, as he calls it here, this, this life force, this life essence uh, that makes us move and have our being, right? Uh, and, and this is the hugely important part that's overlooked by modern medicine. But uh, homeopathy acknowledges this and bases many of its foundational ideas upon that. Uh, So I know we didn't get a lot into specific things with homeopathy. I just wanted to lay the groundwork there for people so that they can understand uh, what's the difference here between uh, homeopathic medicine and allopathic medicine. Well, essentially the allopathic medicine system that we've been handed, that we have in the Western world today, it completely disregards these different ideas, these, these ideas of vital forces, of life force, uh, of this having some kind of importance in healing or uh, returning to health, right? They see it strictly from the physical vantage point, the strictly material paradigm. And it's important to look back on these ideas and understand this may be our way forward, folks, in the future. This may be... The way that we come to terms uh, with uh, healing and with various different things, uh, the way we've been going as a society for at least the past hundred years or more uh, with our medical system, we've been going backwards in a lot of ways. Now, they will try to convince you that lifespans are greater today than they've ever been before, and back in the old times, people died in their 30s and 40s, and eh, that's all nonsense, folks. Have you talked to your grandparents uh, I, I I have relatives that I remember uh, growing up. My my mother's great aunt, uh, she died at a hundred and three. A hundred and three. You're, you're talking longevity here, that uh, we don't have today, in many of these these people uh, of these older generations. And uh, I'll tell you what. I mean, she didn't really have any kind of debilitating. Uh, You know, things that that strike a lot of the old age in people. Like she didn't have any kind of mental decline or anything. She was always very sharp. And uh, she lived on her own until she was about 96 or 98, if I remember correctly. And before she finally got put in a nursing home. uh, Because she just was starting to get physically weak. But she was still, you know, there mentally and everything. But, uh, you know, I I remember her as a little boy. I mean, I, I grew up, I knew her. And, you know, you talk to her and she would tell you different stories about, uh, you know, growing up and, uh, you know, where she lived and stuff like that. And it's, it's really interesting, but a lot of the older generation, they, they lived a lot longer uh, than people do in the modern age our age of modern medicine, so to say. Uh, so there's something there that needs to be looked at, right? Uh, and they used many of these homeopathic remedies and these old-school remedies for things. And they didn't have the same types of chronic conditions we have today. Uh, and a lot of this, I think, was brought on by the whole concept of the, the Rockefeller medicine, so to say, the the whole uh, allopathic push. And don't get me wrong, like I said uh, at the offset of the program here, allopathy has its place, right? I mean, it's got its good uses, and it is necessary, At some points, but it's only one type of medicine. It shouldn't be the prime type of medicine, especially when we have uh, tried and true proven things like homeopathy that's been around for over 200 years in its modern form uh, that has been known and proven to work and used for generations uh, to help people recover and stay healed from various things. And we don't have that as much anymore. Uh, We have uh, just this whole allopathic medical system that's based upon uh, petroleum-based pharmaceuticals. And that's where we're at. And I think we need to take a step back and, and re-examine the idea of homeopathy and various other types of medicine. And uh, try and move forward with this. Because many of the, uh, the precepts of it uh, stand true. right? And they, uh, they're based upon ideas that were not taught today. And that's, that's a true shame. Uh, because we're not taught to think in in terms of the physical or the the, the spiritual, only strictly in the terms of the hyper material or the physical. That's how we're taught to think, and there's very real agendas behind that, and as to why they're trying to push us in that direction. But uh, that's a topic for another day. But uh, anyway, I hope this was educational for you all. Uh, this was, uh, you know, a, a book that I'm very much interested in going through cover to cover and finding out more uh, because it's a hugely important topic and I think this is our way forward uh, as far as trying to keep ourselves healthy in light of coming things here in the future uh, and from things that we've seen here that have been happening now in our world for the past two years. So the writing's on the wall and you know with the way our medical system has turned and the way it's going right now, uh, let's face it, it's, it's, not, it's not your friend, right? The medical system we have now is not your friend. And I think we're going to be more or less on our own to try to find healing and recovery uh, from various things. And I think this may be the way forward. So it's, it's important to think in these terms and understand some of the principles behind it. And it, it requires you to really step outside the box and look at things with a fresh perspective and not, uh, you know, uh, take into consideration all the things we've ever been taught. Uh, because much of what we've been taught is wrong. Let's face it, on many different levels, everything we've ever been taught is wrong. And uh, we just accept it on, you know, the The basis that uh, this is what we were told, right? So it has to be true, but, uh, you know, when you start analyzing things and you see for yourself that much of our world has been misdescribed to us, much of how things operate have been misdescribed, we need to have a fresh look at things. And this is something I think will be important moving forward. As I said, I think this is our way that we can try to keep ourselves healthy In light of things to come. So uh, with that being said, I would encourage all of you to go out and and start reading this stuff for yourself, looking into it for yourself. Uh, It's it's a journey for all of us and uh, maybe give us a better understanding of how things truly operate in this world and help us to stay healthy and keep our families healthy uh, so that we could uh, have a better future here. Uh, Anyway, that's all I've got for tonight, folks. I I hope uh, this was educational and I hope you garnered some value from it. Anyway, we'll catch you next time. Have a good night now. Introducing the new home for free speech, Free World FM, the alternative to the alternative. Keep on talking in the free world. That's freeworld.fm. Coming soon.